have a question about your home? Call Ken the Contractor. Ken Patterson is a Class A licensed contractor who has designed and built multi-million dollar commercial and industrial projects and single family homes up and down the East Coast. And now, Ken the Contractor brings his years of experience to the radio. Roy, hi, you're on the air with Ken Patterson. Hey guys, I love the show. and You know what, I really need to send you some pictures of the projects you guys have helped me complete because We'd love really, to have without them. your help, it, it would never have happened. Great, thank you so much. We'd love to have them too. Who knows, okay. they may wind up on on my website. Do you have a question about your home inside or out? Call Ken the Contractor. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another hour of Ken the Contractor. Ken Patterson is Ken the Contractor. If you have a question about your home inside or out, you can join Ken at 1-800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. Or you can always forward your questions to Ken's website. That is KenTheContractor.com. Oh, it is, as I've said from time to time over the last few weeks, it is real estate market. We've done a lot of talking and communicating based on emails and phone calls about people looking to buy homes. We're going to spend a few minutes today talking about those of you that are on the other side. You're sitting there trying to sell. Now, the market in, in a lot of our listening areas and cities and so forth has changed where it's not really a buyer's market, but it still is in a seller's market. We're seeing improvement not only in the sales price of homes, we're seeing a reduction in inventory, and we're seeing a little more competition than we have seen in the last number of years. For some of you, I realize you're saying that's not true in my neighborhood, but we are seeing a trend upward nationwide. It will come. Give it a little time. But the fact that there are still a number of homes for you to be competing with, I want to talk about a few things that you need to consider to help make your home stand out above those in your neighborhood. And I'm also going to talk about doing this without spending a fortune, because for most of us, we're not excited about going in and putting three, four, five, ten thousand $10,000 in a house before we can put it on the market to sell. At the same time, you are competing with the person next door, your friend, your neighbor, your brother, your sister, perhaps a block away in that same subdivision. So let's talk a little bit about some of the things you need to do. First and foremost, and this is basic marketing, folks. If you can't get people to stop by, to look at the house, and to ask questions, you never have an opportunity of making a sale. We want to talk about curb appeal. And there's some very simple things that an awful lot of people that I talk with either don't get or don't see the value in that. And for some of us, maybe it's not important, but I promise you, for curb appeal and to get people to stop and look, it is. And that starts with the outside. It can be as simple as just cutting the grass, edging the concrete, the driveway, pruning the shrubs that are there, removing dead limbs from trees. Again, you've got to make this appealing to somebody driving by before they're going to stop and even pick up a brochure or call a real estate agent about your house. You want to remove all the trash and debris. If you've got old lawnmowers, tires, other things sitting around piled up in the back, maybe something that's a hobby of yours, and that's fine. But you need to get it off-site. You need to have a storage building somewhere else. You need to have a mini-storage unit, something along those lines, but you need to remove it from the perimeter. The other thing you need to take serious is little things to you, and I'm the same way around my house. Sometimes I don't notice things that I should, but somebody else would see it first and point it out. If you've got a torn window screen, that's sort of an eyesore to people driving down the road. It says something about how we maintain our homes or how the the rest of the inside might look. So think about a few dollars, Five to ten dollars at a hardware store or get the fabric yourself, rescreen that window. And I would say at the very least, 
pull the window screen out rather than have this fly, this fabric just kind of flopping around in the wind. Take a look at gutters and downspouts. Are they filled with trash? Do they look well kept? Do you have trash and debris up on the roof? These are things, again, that just turn people off, that stop them from even having any interest in your home. Once you get through with the outside, and again, we haven't spent any significant money yet. I want you to pay attention to that. Then I want you to think about your, your driveways, your patios. And I said outside, that was the house proper. But I want you to think about any hardscaping you have, driveways, patios, and determine whether or not they really need to be cleaned. And I don't mean that you have to go in there with a lot of soap and water and spend a lot of time, but this is a case where it might be good to borrow or rent $25 or so a day a power washer, a low PSI, not a high PSI, as we talk about occasionally on the show because you can create damage, but a power washer or even some attachments that will go on the end of your garden hose will easily pressure wash uh, to some extent the deck, the patio, the soffit, the fascia, the gutter, the windows. Get rid of those cobwebs. Again, those things that are unsightly. We haven't even talked about paint. We're still talking about all the things you can do on your own for almost no dollars. Let's move to the inside because, again, this is a low-end get-the-house-ready-for-sale. Let's get rid of the clutter, people. Things that all of us have that are our hobbies, that are collectibles to us, they're valuable to us in our own homes. And, yes, they are keepsakes. They have uh, meaning to us. It may be from our children, from our parents. Who knows? The point is it's not of value to other people. And the, the more we have in our homes, the clutter that some would say is in there reduces the size of the space in the eyes of many that are looking at your home. Have it look neat. Have it look clean. Have it look tidy. And this may mean that you just pack away a number of those items and put them in the attic, put them in the basement as long as it's neatly stored, and that's not cluttered. Get a mini storage somewhere and put them in those locations. But get rid of the clutter. Remove any trash. You've got old calendars and things sitting in the corner. You've got a home office and you've got all kinds of past due, not past due, but old paperwork. Get it out of the place. I hope you don't have past due bills, but get your paperwork out. Make it look clean. These are simple things. Then go through, do one more item that a lot of us just don't pay a lot of attention to either because we live there. How about handprints, grease print, fingerprints that are on doors, doorknobs, cabinets, countertops? We live there. We look at it, and frankly, we see it, and it's just one of those things that seems to be there, so we don't think a lot about it. But these are extremely simple, very, very inexpensive things for you to do. Once you have done those items, you can continue on with the cleaning, shampooing, carpets, you can start spending a little more money than looking at minor repairs. If you happen to have a, a front door, for example, that really could stand a coat of paint, you might invest in a quart of paint, prep it, and paint it yourself. Again, it's part of that curb appeal. If you can't get them to stop, you're never going to have the opportunity of making that sale. Then if you have a little bit of money, when this is all said and done, I'm going to suggest to you that you do the same thing I tell folks that are buying, and that is hire a home inspector. You may spend $350, depending on your market, but let them go through and critique your home inside and out. They'll write up a detailed list. They'll give you photographs of things that need maintenance, that need service, items that you may not know about that could also save you money even if you decide not to sell the home just to keep it in good repair. I know uh, when I was a kid growing up, we moved uh, a lot, like six or seven years in a row due to my dad's job, and there was the fire drill when the real estate agent was bringing somebody around, and it included my mother grabbing a bottle of something and getting the kitchen floor bright and shiny and my job was to grab the weed eater or something and to take care of those little we must have mowed the lawn two and three times a week yep you would back, you should. back in those days because that's one of the ones that the agent at the time said 
that's the first impression people get. And if you've got a sloppy looking lawn, which is why even when houses are, are uninhabited and being sold, they still usually pay somebody to mow the lawn. Exactly. Even if it's a foreclosure somewhere, a lender knows that it's going to generate a little more interest and a little more money by having the outside look better than just having it totally abandoned. I'm Jim Britton, along with Ken the Contractor. We're right here, ready to take questions about your home inside or out. You can join us at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. Or you can forward your questions to Ken's website. That's KenTheContractor.com. And while you're there, don't forget you can listen to podcasts of recent programs and also take advantage of all the valuable home improvement information that Ken has compiled at KenTheContractor.com. Coming up in just a few minutes here on this hour of Ken the Contractor. Uh, we've got for you in the news. That'll be coming up in just minutes. And also, uh, we've got this week's edition of Green Building also coming up. That's just minutes away right here. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Don't forget, if you've got a question for Ken, give us a call. It's 800-614-2975. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. I'm Jim Britt along with Ken Patterson. Ken the Contractor, he's here weekends at this time answering the questions that are important to you, today's homeowner. You can always reach Ken at 800-614-2975. And let's go to the phone lines right now. Sterling joins us. Sterling, hi. You're on the air with Ken the Contractor. My question is, I'd like to build a basement house, just the basement, no upstairs, and I'd like to put on a flat roof. So the question is, what can a person do to build a flat roof? Is it possible? Is it economical? Is it viable? And the purpose being then that if a person wants to build an upstairs later, he can do that. Sterling, I'm not sure this question has ever come to me on the air or perhaps even by email, but it's an extremely valid question because I will tell you that folks do that from time to time, not only from a residential standpoint, but I See it done in the commercial world also, whether it's private business or civic groups or organizations, they are constructing that initial floor, that basement level based on the terrain, the lay of the land that they're given to work with. Now, perhaps they only need one floor, but they're looking to be able to expand at a later date. So that makes this very common. And for you, the answer is simply yes, you can do what you want. You're going to construct this basement area as you desire to live in it. You have to be careful about your bedrooms, though, so that any bedroom meets the proper means of exit or egress. If you have a bedroom that's completely below grade, then you're going to have to provide a window and a code-approved well stairwell and built-in stairs to exit that or some other means. But beyond that, you can construct this area as a complete living space and end up putting a roof over it. Now, here's the difference over constructing this as a second floor and roof over it. Some parts of the country have completely flat roofs or those with minimal slope. In this case, you're going to go ahead and install your second floor framing, not roof framing. So whether it's an eye joist or an open web joist or stick framing, you want to construct that floor level, including your subfloor material, whether that's a three-quarter inch OSB, a tongue and groove material, whatever it is, you want to construct that as if you were going to put that next level in place. And you want to do it now. Then you want to come back and put an insulation board over that and use what many will call just a rubber roof system. It's an EPDM 
rubber roof system. Many, many companies manufacture it. Carlisle Roofing, Firestone, other companies across the country. The roof warranties will vary from 20 to 40 years, depending on the mill thickness and how it's actually applied. So you can get some R value, some insulating value out of that roof, which will help you with your heating and cooling in your main basement living level. And at the time that you need to construct the next level, you simply have the contractor peel this roof back around the perimeter as they construct it, keeping it watertight so the main field stays intact, and they build the outside walls, get the roof on, and get it waterproof. Now, obviously, there's a lot of coordination that must take place at that time so that you do stay completely dry and you don't damage anything on the interior. But your question is really very good. You can do it. It's reasonably economical because the only thing you're going to waste when it comes time to build that next floor is the roof membrane and the insulation board that you put in place. In the meantime, be sure that you build the electrical service large enough to handle that main floor when it is added. Be sure that you get a plumbing rough in for the waistlines large enough and prepped in a position to handle plumbing from that level and also that your water line is adequately sized for additional bathrooms, kitchen sinks, and things that may be added as you go up at a later date. So if you plan this properly, it's a very economical way to utilize a piece of property initially to get into a home at a much lesser cost. It's a great way to achieve what you're trying to for less money. And I commend you for thinking about it and really appreciate you raising the question and the awareness for so many of our listeners. Thank you so much. Sterling, thanks. We do appreciate your call. You can always reach Ken at 800-614-2975 or forward your questions to his website, KenTheContractor.com. We've got a couple from the website. Yeah, and Brenda writes this. She's in the process of replacing a furnace in her home in Virginia, and she said, I need to replace my furnace. She's asking some questions that are quite valid, especially this year, maybe not as much last year. said, are there any tax credits available? And if so, how and where do I get the information? She also says, I may have to purchase two small room heaters, and what safety features and other info do I need to be looking for before I purchase these? Well, Brenda, first, on the tax credits, there really is good news. Now, last year, at the end of the year, with all the budget issues and so forth, we understood all tax credits were expiring. And most Most people don't realize that the the tax credits that were in effect at the end of the year have come back into play for 2013. So that is very good for you and anybody else needing to replace a furnace. And as far as finding the information, just go to my website, KenTheContractor.com, and you'll find under all the links there, you're going to find tax credits, and you'll find information available both from your state as well as from the federal government. Now, what you have to be cautious about, you can't just replace a furnace. You have to be sure that they meet certain qualifications of the uh, Energy Star rating and of the government criteria and that you have all the receipts that are required. So I encourage you and everyone that's looking to replace something that may qualify for tax credits, whether it's a refrigerator, a heat pump, uh, an old oil furnace, it doesn't matter. Check first before you buy. Then shop around and get your numbers based on the different brands and energy efficiency that will qualify for the tax savings, if you will. And uh, hopefully that will save you some dollars. Also, one other item you didn't ask, but I want all of you to check with your local power companies because in some parts of the country, many public utilities are offering some rebates ranging from $50, I think, to about $300 on certain energy-efficient levels, heating and cooling systems. So when you start stacking all these up, it's possible you could save quite a few dollars in tax credits and rebates, state, local uh, governments or federal governments and your state as well as your individual uh, electric provider, if you will. So check those out, add them to your list, do your shopping, and then compare and go forward from there. Now, you also ask about room heaters, and I will tell you there's so many different type of room heaters that we choose from that it boggles our mind, but assuming you're looking for a portable room heater, I really do not recommend an electric resistance room heater. 
these are very energy inefficient compared to other types that are available to you. So consider any of several types of the convection or forced air ceramic heaters. You're also going to find energy efficient, find those to be very energy efficient and safe. The other issue with some of the electric resistance heat is that they, they should have. And they typically do have turnover devices, so they shut off when you turn them over. But people have a tendency to place them a little too close, maybe to draperies and other combustible items, and they don't respond to that. So if you turn them over, they'll shut off. But otherwise, you can overheat certain items. Now, the bottom line to you is do your homework, check consumer reports and some other guides on these, and you're going to find what's right for you and what's energy efficient and what will heat that room in a timely manner for you. Get time for one more email. All right, and um, we'll go to Maryland for this one. Kathy sends us this one. She's been observing her roof based on the weather conditions. Said when with the fall and winter storms, my husband and I have noticed small pieces of our roof shingles on the ground and large amounts of granules at the bottom of our downspouts. Is this a warning sign? We need a new roof. Well, Kathy, first it's a warning sign, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you need a new roof because in this area of Maryland, you've had a lot of high winds going back through last summer and through the fall and winter. You've had snow. You've had ice. You've had the same thing so many roofs in the middle part of the mid-Atlantic and northeast have dealt with that some of this is normal wear and tear. You may see small pieces of an edge of a shingle that break off and maybe in multiple locations depending on whether you've had ice buildups. But the granules that you see are common with the aging of fiberglass or old asphalt shingles. What you need to check for when the roof is completely dry and clear is to see from the ground, one, does it look like it's deteriorating? And I'm not encouraging you unless you're qualified to get on the roof. You may want to have a professional roofer or builder check it. If the materials become very brittle and it's hard and it has sort of an alligator look to it and it's cracking, then it's really deteriorated to the point that you need a new roof. But just because granules fall off and clump up in a pile at the bottom of the downspout is not necessarily the indicator of needing a new one. Very good. You can always send your questions to Ken at KenTheContractor.com, or if you'd like to be on the air with us, you can give us a buzz. And the number you can always reach Ken at is 800-614-2975. Quick break, and then back with more. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Welcome back. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. You can get in touch with Ken at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. Or email your questions to KenTheContractor.com. Dot com. Time for this week's In the News segment. Weekly Ken brings you products, trends, tips, and services that are important for you to make informed decisions about your home maintenance, purchases, remodeling, and new construction. What do we have this week? Well, this week we have an item that will help all those do-it-yourselfers when it comes to drilling, grinding, sanding. One of the big issues you have is dust and dust control. And frankly, doing the task sometimes is easy. It's the cleanup after the fact, especially if you're saw-cutting concrete inside the home uh, or if you happen to be doing certain drilling just to bolt things to the floor or you've got it around your shop. This one is from DeWalt. Now, DeWalt has come out in the market with what they call the Dust Extractor Vacuum, and it provides dust control for both drywall sanding, concrete grinding, and drilling applications. The way this works is every 30 seconds, one of the filters is back flushed within this vacuum to remove the dust. Now, any of you that ever dealt with it know that all it takes is a little bit of vacuuming. That filter is clogged. The system doesn't work. you got to stop and clean it out. So they have come up with a remedy for that. They've got a universal connector system that offers individual adapters that work with many of the company's grinding, drilling, chipping, and demolition power tools. And I happen to be a big DeWalt fan. Probably most of the tools in my supply are DeWalt, so this is big to me. 
and for a lot of you that are out there. So if you have a dust problem, and I know this doesn't apply to everybody, but sometimes I just want to single a few, few of you out that have real issues around the home and say, I think this is one that's going to solve a lot of issues. And for those of you that are pros that work in construction, this may be something that saves you time. If it saves you time, it saves you money. Again, it's called the DeWalt Dust Extractor Vacuum, and you can check Check this out on my website, KenTheContractor.com. We'll have more information posted there or go directly to your DeWalt dealer. Well, DeWalt has a very special place in my heart because that's where my dad started working with, eventually moving to Black & Decker. And uh, first things that he sold were the old DeWalt radial arm saws. And many of those are still in garages working today, building cabinets and and building homes out there. You know, different brands build for different purposes, some more residential-oriented and some more commercial and industrial-oriented. And that's one reason we see many of the brands that we do out there. The point is you need to have the right tool for the right job. So if you're in this dusty environment, I think DeWalt's come up with a great product for us. Okay, and again, the name of the product? It is the DeWalt Dust Extractor Vacuum. Very good. All right. Time for us to go to the phone lines right now. Uh, don't forget, you can always reach Ken at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. And it's Nancy who joins us right now. Hi, Nancy. You're on the air with Ken. Hi. Thank you for taking my call. Hi, Nancy. Hi. Um, I have a question about venting a clothes dryer. Um, the house that we bought is probably mm, maybe 40 years old. It's a ranch style. Um, with a basement, and the washer and dryer are in an upstairs. It's all one level, but it's a, a bathroom. And it wasn't until I recently replaced the appliances that were here, the washer and dryer that were here, that I was told that it was very dangerous because the clothes dryer was venting into a room um, in the basement area which has a dirt floor and where the hot water heater is. And so there's no outside ventilation with the dryer. So my question is, um, is there anything um, that I can do without having to do major construction to get an outside vent to that? About how far away is the dryer, because you told me where it's positioned at the main level. Right. And you have a basement, so you have access under the floor. But about how far away is this room from an outside wall? Is it 10, 15, 20 feet? The, which, where the washer and dryer are? Yes. Um, probably about 10 feet. Okay. And you're able to get a vent from the dryer right now. It discharges into this dirt floor area. Correct. So are you able to connect to that duct and go to an outside wall and come out through the foundation wall? I don't know. That's something if you're, if you're not comfortable with doing that yourself, that's something you might want to call a mechanical contractor. Now these, when I say mechanical, these are uh-huh. people that do air conditioning and heating. Okay. Typically, those are the companies that do vent work for your bathroom exhaust fans, your kitchen exhaust hood, and okay. the dryer vent during new construction and renovation. Okay. Okay. So, but it's but I would just wanted to listen to what you were describing carefully because I don't think you should have any issue venting that to the outside. But I concur with what you've been told. It's dangerous to leave that inside. Now, do you happen to have a gas hot water heater in that basement or no? Car? It's electric. Okay. Well, at least that's a good thing. But yes. If 
our dryers can't vent properly, two things that are very important can happen. One, you can have a dryer fire by lint building up in those. There's more than 11,000 dryer fires across this country each year because of lint buildup, because of it being improperly vented to the exterior. But also, you're running your energy cost up because the more it can, the quicker it can vent and dissipate that moisture to the exterior of the home, and that's what it's doing. It's pulling the moisture out of your clothes. The quicker that can occur, the quicker the drying cycle, which cuts down on your operating costs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's very important to have these vented properly and also to be sure that the lint is cleaned on a regular basis, not just from the lint trap, but right. from the unit. Now, I would suggest you contact, again, a mechanical contractor, HVAC contractor in your area. You might want to get uh, prices from a couple of them. Tell them what your needs are. Tell them that you think you are 20, 25 feet or so from your current discharge to hit an outside wall. They should be able to come up in the rim board, which is a perimeter board that sits on top of the foundation in that basement or crawl space area, and vent that to the outside, put an insect and a bird screen on it and a, a backdraft damper, and you should be good to go. Have you heard of one of the people who was um, installing the new washer and dryer said something about um, you can get some kind of an attachment to the back of the dryer that will collect the lint? Yeah, there's a self-contained device, some are round containers, the ones that I know of are, and it will collect the lint, but what it's not doing is discharging that moisture to the okay. outside. Right. And so for the reasons that I mentioned earlier, you have the ability from what you describe, mm-hmm. it's not going to be a big deal, it shouldn't be very expensive okay. for you to vent that to the exterior, and then you'll have no maintenance other than just normally cleaning the lint from uh, your lint trap and uh, maybe once a year, I think that's what's recommended generally, is to be sure the lint's clean from the, the overall uh, dryer vent system, the tubing, the pipe, and so forth. Okay, so a mechanical contractor. Right, that, that's a heating and cooling contractor. Okay, okay sure. Uh, some of the mid-sized companies certainly will do this. The smaller one- or two-person operations mm-hmm. may not. But but get on the phone book or get in the phone book if you don't have any contacts and call several people and uh, tell them what you need and have them come out and give you a price. Okay, thank you so much. Thanks for your call. Mm-hmm, bye-bye. Nancy, thank you. We do appreciate your call. Don't forget, you can always reach Ken Patterson, Ken the Contractor, at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. And you can also email your questions to our website, kenthecontractor.com. While you're at our website, KenTheContractor.com, we talk about this a lot, uh, but there is a lot of useful information. If you've got a particular project you're trying to take care of uh, this weekend, uh, these are some of the most asked questions that Ken gets, and many of them uh, deal with issues that folks deal with it almost each and every day as a homeowner today, whether it's leaks, shingles, roofing questions, flooring questions, get a lot of fencing questions. You can find all the Questions and the answers that Ken and our mailbag editor, Aaron Yoder, have put together, all available on the web at our website. And again, that's KenTheContractor.com. Quick break, and then we'll be back with more. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Welcome back. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Along with Ken the Contractor, Ken Patterson, I'm Jim Britt. Thanks for joining us this weekend. Don't forget, we're here every weekend at this time as Ken is answering the questions that are important to you, today's homeowner. You can always reach Ken at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. Or forward your questions to our website. You can email your questions to Ken 
at kenthecontractor.com. But right now, time for us to go back to the phone lines. Joining us next is Marianne. Hi, Marianne. You're on the air with Ken the Contractor. I have a fiberglass gold bathtub, and I was wanting to know if I could paint it white. Great question. I get that from time to time, and absolutely, both fiberglass and acrylic tubs and tub shower combinations can be painted. As you hear me say on this show frequently, though, the work is going to be in the prep. It's not going to be in applying the finish. Now, you can do this yourself if you happen to be a crafty individual and like doing these type things, but the best results available are those done by professionals because they have slightly different materials and techniques as well as training to do this. I'm not going to discourage you, but I want to say that for our other listeners as well. Okay. If, if you're going to do this yourself, you need to visit with one of the paint stores or certainly one of the experts within the big box stores because all of them sell the kits to refinish both fiberglass and acrylic. And you need to be sure and distinguish between the two because in some cases there's a slight difference in either the prep or the finished product. Follow the instructions carefully in terms of the cleaning, the sanding, the things that you need to do there. Be certain that it's dry, that you're working within the designated temperature range of the product, and you allow the right amount of curing time between any number of coats. But absolutely, you can do this yourself, and this is one of those great items for people to do in the winter months when you don't want to be outdoors. Right. Okay, now who does it professionally? Be a number of companies, and I'm going to give you some generic names. Some of these are nationwide, some of these are regional, but you would look them up under companies like Bath Refitters or Bath Refinishers. That's a generic heading. Some may even have those names within their professional company name. Okay. But these are contractors that will refinish not only acrylic but fiberglass but also the old enamel tubs, and they issue a warranty. And I think if you'll check prices, when you look at the product cost and then place a value on your labor after you read the instructions, and then you get some bids from two or three of these contractors that do this on a professional basis daily, Look at the overall cost versus having them do it, the lack of time needed on your part, and the warranty that they bring to the table. You may find that there's not a huge cost difference when it's all said and done. Okay, great. Well, good luck to you, and we appreciate you listening to the show. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for your call, Marianne, and this is one of the many projects, one of the basic reasons why Ken the Contractor is on the air. Try to help you and give you a little bit of guidance. Is this something you could tackle at home, or is this something you should look to a contractor or somebody else to do? All right, time now for our green building segment this week. Now, you don't have to build new or put additions on just to be building green. There are so many things we can do constantly around our home. And one's dealing with existing plumbing fixtures. There are dual flush kits and related accessories out there for our older style toilets and tanks. And many of us still have those that use five gallons per flush. Newer ones are down under two gallons and they work very well. The earlier versions of the reduced flow did not work quite so well. But today they've pretty well perfected that low flush toilet. So if you happen to be living in a home that still has the old five-gallon tank or even maybe you have that three-gallon tank as the size has started to come down, you might want to think about some of the modifications to the inside of the tank. They're really quite easy to do. Now they also have the dual flush kits that deal with both solids and liquids separately. We're seeing more and more of that in public restroom facilities. It's all about saving water. And if you're saving on that cost of water coming in, you're certainly saving on that sewer fee going out. And for most of us on municipal sewer and water, it's the sewer fee that in some cases two and three times higher than the water coming into the house. So this could be a big cost saver to you. Not a lot of money, but I want you to think about it. A lot of different companies are producing these today. If you're looking for it, ask for the dual flush 
kit for the toilet and see how that works for you. And for most of you, you'll be able to install this yourself. we got some emails we want to get to. Alicia in Virginia has a problem that a lot of us have encountered. said, we've had our home for about six months. said, I've had the heat on, or she's come through the winter months, uh, only as she's needed it. But I've noticed small joints or cracks in the wood trim around some of the windows and the door trim. said, I also see it on the baseboard, mostly in the corners. What's causing this? Do I have a problem with my home or with my builder? Well, you're not telling me, uh, Alicia, if this is your first time home, at least in a new construction. But what I will tell you is what you're describing is pretty typical of new home construction, especially moving through the winter months. All materials have some degree of moisture in them. Even the trim material, that should be probably in the range of 12 to 14 percent is ideal. But just during construction, with windows open, hopefully it was not left in the rain, this has been exposed and it's soaked up more moisture. Now, in the winter, when you turn that heat on, unless you have a humidifier controlling the humidity level in the house, you're sucking that moisture out of the wood. You're causing it to shrink when it does that. And as a result of that, you're seeing some of the miter joints open up. You, it's not uncommon to see what you're seeing. What you do need to do, and hopefully you're working with a good, solid, reputable builder, is within your warranty period, if, and assuming you have a one-year warranty, you need to contact that contractor and let them know you've got the normal shrinkage that has occurred during the winter months. I would wait until you get through with winter and then ask them to come back in and to recaulk and touch up paint these. I can tell you as a builder, I've always taken care of those items. Most of my builder friends that are reputable are going to take care of this. And if you know some that are not very reputable, then you're going to have some issues with it. But ask your builder to take care of it. It's not a big deal. Most want to do that as good customer service because they want you selling houses for them and recommending you to other folks. Now, if you want to resolve that long term so you never have an issue again, you may think about some level of humidity control. You don't, it's not likely you have the issue with the trim going forward, but you may with furniture if you have this kind of shrinkage on wood. So that's something that'll help to preserve your furniture long term. All right. And I think we have, uh, Beth that comes to us and her question deals with deck material. And she said, we're looking to construct a new deck in the springtime. Are there options that I should consider, or do we just go with the basic pressure-treated deck? And, Beth, I want to tell you that there are so many options today that I don't know that I would recommend you look at the pressure-treated first. It's still typically the most economical in the market, but what you're going to find is that composite decking is now going to run a close second to that because it's produced by so many companies and has been out for such a long period of time. And from there, you move up to vinyl or you move up to a composite that's vinyl encased. You move to the solid vinyl. You get to aluminum. There are many levels you can go to. But if you're looking for maintenance-free, I would stay away from the pressure-treated wood and at least look at composite. Still have a few cleaning issues with it. It's fairly easy to maintain. If you have a little more money in your budget, then look at the composite deck that's encapsulated in vinyl for both durability and ease of cleaning. But you do have options, and whatever you do, pay attention to the fasteners that hold that deck together. Equally important. I want to remind you that if you're out and about doing a project this weekend or anytime you find yourself uh, purchasing products, always look for the Made in the USA label. You know, if you can't do anything, you're saying to help the economy, and you're saying because I just don't have the billions of dollars to solve all these problems, what you can do is spend a few dollars at your local store and make sure that you're buying products made in America because you're doing two things. One, you're keeping that dollar in your community, and it will come back to pay dividends to you in the future. But two, you're employing people in the United States. We do all we can to buy American-made products. We look for sources. And I tell you what we have found in just the last few years that we're finding 
that American-made products are more competitive than many of those made in other parts of the world, we are also finding that the quality of the product is superior, and if there's any instance to go back and look for parts or pieces, they're readily available. So as always, look for Made in America. We've got to take a break. We'll continue with more. You're listening to Ken the Contractor.